My name's Pat Hoban, and I uh, have the privilege of being on the staff here in the uh, counseling and care department. And so it's my privilege just to be able to open us up in prayer this morning and hopefully see what the Lord has to tell us today. Father God, I do thank you for this new morning. I thank you for the privilege it is to uh, stand before these uh, brothers in Christ. Father, we come with a desire to hear from you today. We come with a desire to hear a message from you that would um, draw our hearts to you. Lord, so give us the ability to, to receive. I pray you'd also give us the courage. And Father, give us that commitment that's required for that as well. And so with that, we come together to honor, to glorify you, uh, to enjoy one another, and to receive. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I love being uh, in front of groups. I love being able to teach. Uh, I don't particularly uh, enjoy being in a room this size. I'm much of a smaller group kind of teacher. And so there's probably some places today where my temptation will be to ask a question and yet uh, don't answer it. Okay. Because I'm going to try just to, just to lecture today uh, because that's, that's kind of how I roll. There are two announcements today that I wanted to call your attention to. Uh, first of all, there's just a few of them on your tables, but the uh, prayer guides that are there, uh, but there are many more additional copies, and we just encourage you to take those with you and utilize those throughout the week uh, with the hopes that they'll draw you to a, a deeper walk with the Lord. Secondly, if you would like to get on the weekly email distribution list, which gives you the link to the teaching, uh, maybe some other additional information, then on your table is a sign-up sheet, and we encourage you to sign up. I always have to tell men, please write legibly, okay? And uh, then we will put together a list and be sending that out uh, so that you'll be kept up to date with the things that we're doing. All right, so you can see from our PowerPoint presentation up here today, that, and you've seen this in the literature, et cetera, that our study is on the words of Jesus. And I really have been very much drawn uh, in by this, just really grateful for what the Lord has done in my own heart and life as I've looked at uh, these particular passages. Um, I'm going to teach the first two weeks, then David Newman will teach two weeks on John chapter 14, and then Jay Hoffler will be teaching on John chapter 15 and drawing some from chapter 16 as well. So we're going to be carried through for the next six weeks. We'll meet for four weeks in June. We'll skip the week that's right around uh, uh, July the 4th, and then we'll meet for two more weeks after the 4th. If you're going to talk about the words of Jesus, um, then we have to look here at starting in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And we see in the beginning was the Word. So we have this beautiful picture of how we have the words of Jesus, and yet Jesus is the Word Himself. And John goes on to say, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything that was, not, was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of them of men. Excuse me. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So a simple question. Would you like to hear this man's words today? If this is who he is, he's the word, 
then would you like to hear his words? And Lord, I pray that your words are spoken through me today. So today we're going to look at John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. And you are welcome. I'm going to have the scripture up here, but if you have your Bibles with you, then I would encourage you to uh, uh, go to that particular passage. So let me read here just the first couple of verses, 1 through 3. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Let's stop there and let's get a picture of what's going on at this point in time. So at this passage here, this is really the day before everything breaks loose. This is the day before the Passover. We know what happens there. We know that Jesus is in the garden, etc., and how everything begins to unfold. And this is where we are picking up in the story. And to me, we're at the, at the culmination. As I said, the next day, everything begins to unfold. You'll look here and you'll see <clears throat> said that Jesus knew that his hour had come. Well, this should be good news to us because it means that he welcomed what was getting ready to come. It means that he knew, hey, everything that's getting ready to unfold, even this part about Judas Iscariot and how he was going to play a part and betray him, he already knew all that. All right? And yet he willingly went forward with it. He didn't try at that point in time to bail out. I've tried to think of some some metaphors for that, but to me it would be like, you know, if I'm sitting at the poker table with a group of guys and we're playing, you know, uh, poker and it's like I just went all in or I'm thinking about going all in. And I'm looking across the table at the person that I'm in there with and all of a sudden I can see a reflection in their glasses what their hand has. Is that good news? You would think so. You would think it'd be like, that's pretty informative. That's going to be helpful to me. It determines whether I'm going to go all in or not. I think for most of us in the room, it's like if we saw that that person had a better hand than we did, we would fold, right? And Jesus, seeing what was ahead of him, continued on. We have to ask ourselves, why would he do that? Why would he willingly go forward when he could see what was ahead of him? And yet we also see in this passage that he knew that this was to come. It says that he had come to the world to depart out of the world. He was going back to the Father. He had done everything he was supposed to do. Loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. We begin to realize that he came for a purpose and the purpose was truly to die. The purpose was to defeat death. The purpose was to restore us to a relationship with him. And then it said, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to God. He knew that. 
So he didn't just know that he was going to the cross, he knew that he was going to actually defeat death and that he would be going back to the Father. So let's look at the next slide here. It says, He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. There's a couple of things here that I want to call our attention to. First thing is, he laid aside his outer garments. He took on the role of the lowest person in all of society there at their point in time. But there's something that we need to see here that I think is really significant. It says he took on, excuse me, he laid aside his outer garments. Now, when I read that, it couldn't help but resonate with me what I see in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. It says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The phrase there, but he emptied himself. This particular case, he didn't just lay aside his outer garments. In this particular case, he emptied himself of his deity. Now he was still 100% man and 100% God. And yet he came to earth and walked amongst us in human form, subjected himself to all of the same temptations that we did, but he lowered himself, he emptied himself of all things that might have separated him in order to be with us, in order to lay out this amazing plan of salvation that he came to do for us. The Greek word there is very similar. He emptied himself, he laid aside. We see what Jesus is doing here through this. We go back to our passage. He rose from supper. The meal was already underway, guys. And we ask ourselves, wait a minute, why in the world would he during the meal get up to wash people's feet? One of the problems was, was that should have already been taken care of. Whoever the host was, that was their role, was to make sure it was done. And yet here's the rabbi, here's the holy one, and not even one of his lower disciples had taken that role on. So the rabbi himself, Jesus, gets up from the table, and takes his outer garments off, and begins to wash the feet. He lowered himself to that of a humble servant to do the work that somebody else should have done, but he willingly stepped into that role. Friends, if we think that's a big deal, then the Philippians passage tells us, and what we know is going to happen, if you think humbling himself to wash feet is a big deal, the next day he humbled himself even to the point of death, death on the cross. The most shameful thing that could occur within the Jewish culture at that point in time, the Roman culture, he humbled himself, went to the cross, Scripture tells us, despising its shame, he willingly went there. 
Now, let's read the second part of this. It says, the feet, he, to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter was clearly confused, wasn't he, about what Jesus was doing. Wait, why would you be washing my feet? You know, this isn't what you're supposed to do. You're the rabbi. You're the Messiah. You are the chosen one. You're the one that we're looking to, to deliver us. Unfortunately, he still had a mixed understanding, and we're going to see that a little bit more, about what Jesus was actually coming to do. But in this particular case, he says, wait a minute, what are you doing washing my feet? And Jesus says to him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And friends, I think that's really where we live. And do we understand what it is that Christ has done for us? And do we understand how he went about doing it? And do we understand the impact in our lives today? So we continue on with our passage. It says, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand. I repeat this particular slide because I want us to understand the context of what's going on here. My question is, is it possible that we have some Simon Peter within us? That we say, I'm not ready for this. I'm wondering if any of you in the room, you don't have to have a show of hands, I'm wondering if any of you in the room have ever had your feet washed. It's a pretty humbling experience. We think that it's humbling to, have, to be the one to wash the feet, but there's something really humbling about having our feet washed. It's like, oh, you don't have to do that, you know, and we try to, you know, give excuses for why it's not necessary. For some of us that pick our toes, you know, it's like, I don't want you seeing my toenails. For some of us, it's kind of like we've got, you know, toe jam or whatever, and we're trying to keep people away from that. We've got smelly feet, anything it might be, because then now we're getting into the shame of having our feet washed. And yet he's telling Peter, let me do this, and you're going to understand what I'm doing later on. Peter has a bold response. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who was, has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus had a clear understanding of what was getting ready to happen. Peter didn't. Peter's still in a position to say, you know, no, 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 no. Oh, but then he goes, oh, but if you're going to do that, then wash every bit of me. And again, I think some of us have this Simon Peter in us, where it's kind of like we're either 
you know, I don't want that, or I'm going to be so zealous that you can do it all. And he's saying, that's not what the point is here. The point is that I'm slowing things down. I'm assuming the role, and he's going to tell us why he does it later on. But he says, I'm assuming the role of the lowest servant here, and I want you to begin to see what it is that I'm doing. I want you to realize this isn't about cleansing the soul here, but it is about taking on the lowest role in, in society. And so then we come here to the next part. When he washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. We were pretty good until we get here. And it's kind of like, oh, Jesus, don't, don't, don't take this to that place. You know, surely there's a better example that you could provide for us about how we're to serve other people and stuff, but... But Jesus is saying, look, if I as Lord and teacher have done this, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I think what he's saying here is really difficult for us to understand, and I will even say accept. It sounds good, but to walk out of the room today and to follow this is not easy. And I need you to remember this. Not everybody at the table were really on Jesus' team. And that he willingly washed the feet of those that were, you know, his buddies and been running with him for the last three years. But he also washed the feet of the one who was going to betray him. There's something about what Jesus did in this moment that is so much more kind of radical than what we even are tempted to read here. But he asked the question, do you understand what I've done to you? And the answer is, have no idea. If they were really truthful, they would say, I have no idea. I know you washed my feet. Do I understand the deeper significance of what it is that you actually have just done? Do I understand that you have just modeled out something to me that I need to embrace? Do, you, do I understand that you have just done something that you as Lord and teacher have humbled yourself in a way that I can hardly even get my arms around? Because the Lord and teacher is the one that everybody pays homage to that person and yet here he is taking the lesser role. Jesus isn't finished though. For I've given you, and here's the word, an example, that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. So he gave us an example. 
pretty easy to say, oh, he gave us an example of foot washing. I don't think that's what he did. I think what he gave us was an example of how we're called to live in a deep sense of humility before our fellow men. Now, there are some denominations, I think that would be the appropriate word, that have said, okay, Jesus talks about foot washing here, and they have elevated foot washing to a sacrament almost like baptism is. I'm not here today to throw stones at that. I'm just here today to say, I don't think that's actually what he's trying to get at. I don't think that we're remiss because in our culture today that foot washing is not a commonplace. And that's why I think that there's something deeper here that Jesus gave. He did indeed give us an example. He gave us an example of which we are to follow. But as you all, as I've already clearly identified myself as being here on the counseling side of things, uh, I'm not a theologian. It's probably already obvious about that. Um, but I look at things where I go, here's the behavior, and then down here is what's going on that impacts the behavior up here. And what I need you all to hear today, that if I, if I look at what Jesus is doing in this particular passage, he's not trying to clean their outer behavior up here, one, by foot washing, or telling them, here's what you're supposed to do, but he is addressing what's down here, which is the heart. And there's only one way to be able to truly humble yourself in order to do the behavior up here. Now, we could, we could make all sorts of legalistic ways that you're supposed to go out and be humble, go out and wash feet. Here's all the things that you're supposed to do in order to follow Christ's example. Fellas, that's lifeless. It's exhausting, and it is not really producing anything that's lasting. And I see that. I see it in my own heart and life. The times that I have tried to make things where if I just do enough of it, it's going to change me. And yet the reality is that until there's that heart change, what's going on up here will look a little different, maybe a little better but not really significant. And so Jesus is addressing this topic of humility. And I'm wondering, even in the room today, if we have any comprehension of what humility really is. One of the reasons why is because I see far too often that what we call humility is really shame. And it's, it, it's, I'm going to shrink back because I don't really want to live my life fully in front of other people. And so the result of that is that it looks like humility because I'm going to back off. But he's describing something here that's far more powerful. And he's already taken care of the shame for us. Now he's calling us to a life of humbling ourselves before others to live it out in that way. Now, you cannot stand before a group like this and not quote either John MacArthur, John Piper, Sinclair Ferguson or something. So 
I've got a quote from John MacArthur here, just to kind of validate my, my well-being, okay? I think it actually works, though, okay? It says, this is what he has to say. He is not saying, do the same thing I have done. He is saying, behave in the same manner as I have behaved. The example we are to follow is not the washing of feet, it is his humility. Do not minimize the lesson by trying to make foot washing the important point of John chapter 13. He goes on to say this. Jesus' humility is the real lesson, and it is a practical humility that governs every area of life, everyday life, and every experience of life. Do you get that word? Practical humility. Meaning, it's just being fleshed out in our lives. It's not something I'm having to manifest. It just continues to flow out because I have a deeper understanding of who I am. I have a deeper understanding of what Christ has done for me. And I have a deeper understanding of my utter gratitude and dependency upon Him. I have to be honest. I had an amazing quiet time this morning. You know why? Because I knew I was going to be standing before you today. And I felt incredibly dependent on the Lord. I tell you that with some degree of embarrassment. Because it is like, you mean the fear of standing before us drove you to your knees in a way that caused you to have a more intimate time with the Father today? I go, yeah, that's right. Well, Pat, didn't you teach Sunday morning in the Sunday school class? Oh, yeah, that's no problem. I, I, I want to wake up every day where I am dependent upon the Father, and the result of that is an incredible spirit of humility that says I can't do anything unless He's working in and through me. So then MacArthur tells us, though, what practical humility is. The result of that kind of humility is always loving service, doing the menial and humiliating tasks for the glory of Jesus Christ. That demolishes most of the popular ideas of what constitutes spirituality. Men, I don't know if y'all realize how important that is. I think every single one of us in here needs to see that. But I'm going to be even more specific. I believe every single one of you in this room and here today that's married needs to see this. And this needs to be fleshed out in your marriage. I stand here as a man who has a failed marriage in my history. And I can tell you that this is a place where I failed miserably. Even though on the outside I could make it look pretty good. We wonder why there is so much relational conflict in our lives. And I'm telling you, it's because 
we aren't humble men, we're defensive men. When somebody makes a comment to us, and instead of our ability to humbly receive that comment, we're already on the defense. We're already trying to make sure that they know that we're the one that's right and they're the one that's wrong. And so he gave us a very powerful example of foot washing, but he gave us a very powerful example of what humility really is, and it's why it is such a critical aspect of life in Christ, and the ripple effects go far and wide. And it's why next week I have the privilege of talking about loving your neighbor, loving one another, and it's like, we cannot do that without understanding this. And so if I can send you out of here today, would be like, hey fellas, why don't you check yourself on your defensive responses and see what might be behind that. I'm going to call our attention back to Philippians chapter 2. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. I love what a gentleman by the name of J.D. Walt said about humility and what is the opposite of it. Listen to this or watch this, read this. It says, according to the scripture, the opposite of humility is not pride but selfishness, and therein lies the problem with our definitions. They are all self-referential. We can't even talk about humility without somehow referencing the self. Here's what I'm slowly learning. Humility is not about self at all. Humility is all about others. Humility is not putting yourself down. That's false humility. Humility is about lifting others up. Do you get why it's so important to follow Jesus' role? Jesus made it about others. We make it about ourselves. And we're called here to an example that says, wait a minute. This is an enormous shift in how I'm going to see things. And it enhances all relationships. And that's why it's so important. But Walt goes on to say this. The journey of becoming a real person is the pathway of being set free from the prison of self and liberated into the God-given capacity to love others. It's the way of the cross, the journey from being a me person to becoming a you person. So listen to the words he says, set free, liberated, becoming a you person. How good does that sound? This is something I created from our redemption groups, which is, look, hurt people hurt people. But I will tell you this, guys, free people will free people. Now, it may be too early to lay this on you, okay? But I need you all to know, if you're walking in humility, you're going to be seeing other people respond differently. And it's powerful. So here's our question to ponder. Jesus says, What I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Later, he says, Do you understand what I've done to you? So my question today, let's just simply go with the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Do you truly understand what Jesus was doing in this passage? If so, what are the ripple effects 
in your life? I'm going to leave the question up there, but first I just want to say, here's our passage for next week. Um, if you want to write that down and just read through that, um, be prepared for that. But here's your question. And just around your tables, and that's why if there's not enough people at a table, please join in. Let's make the table time productive. And men, I'm going to tell you this. Humility will allow you in this room, in here today, sitting with people you've never sat with before, will allow you to be able to say something that's honest about yourself as opposed to saying, I can't tell that to anybody except my crew. That's not true. We're all men in here. We are all desperate for the work of Christ in our lives. Let's join in at the tables and let's have some meaningful conversations. Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to share the, the words of Jesus. May we take those deeply today. It's in his name we pray. Amen.